0: This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years of developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams. So you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns, so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings everywhere. Today's podcast is a conglomeration of questions that people have sent me, and I think that many of them will um, resonate. And so I've chosen some of them in a Q&A with me. So as most of you know, I'm a physical therapist and I also have some other credentials, but a lot of these are physical therapy related, but some are puppy related. <laughs> so here's one. Do you ever have any weekend trainings for yoga teachers looking to learn from you? Yes, I do. I have weekend trainings. I haven't had one in a while because we've been full um, pedal to the metal on developing an online training for a 200-hour functional anatomy and yoga teacher training in my style. And that um, yoga teacher training includes, it's 10 weeks, it's online with some interactive webinars each week so that you can we can see each other and talk and discuss all the things you're learning. It's 10 weeks and it also has 10 classes that have been created by me, have my kind of rubber stamp approval that you will be practicing and that you will be teaching and then you will have access to Um, with all of it written down, fully scripted in any way um, so that you can have that. You can obviously add your own creative curve to it and all that, but it's to give you Full um, confidence in teaching this style, and then a lot of understanding of how functional anatomy applies. Then, in addition to that, I have weekend um, modules for the higher level trainings, for the um, 500 level trainings. And the next time I, ha- the next one I have is in um, Lenox, Massachusetts, in September at Kropalo, which is a wonderful. I think it's the largest yoga institute. I think in the world, it's huge. And it's in Linux, Linux, Massachusetts. And I've taught there before, and I'm doing a two, three day training. So you could do a six full days with me, or you could do one of either one of the trainings, but you could look that up on my website. And so those are, those are great ways to practice with me and learn the style and learn a lot about anatomy. And it's um, again, very interactive because I keep them purposely a good number of people but not ever too large because there's I want to interact with everyone. So that's an answer to that. How do you get your core and hip back after giving birth? So that is multifaceted and I've I've addressed this a little bit on some other episodes, but essentially after giving birth a lot of things have shifted um not necessarily shifted as much as there have been Changes in the connective tissue because as you prepare for birth, the the hormone relaxin does its job. It relaxes some of the ligaments. So you have pelvic floor ligaments, you have ligaments around your sacrum, and all of those need to be able to loosen a little bit with birth so that the birth canal is opened up. And when, and then of course you have the the uterus has expanded and it's put a stretch on the abdominal muscles. And when you have all this weight now out forward, your pelvis is also affected because the center of mass has been moved forward. So that affects your possibly your low back and your hip. So the first things first is to kind of get everything pulled back together. Like it's not gonna be literally all pulled back together, but I mean, from the inside, getting more of this feeling of um, webbing of the, the perineum, the pelvic floor, the deep abdominals, all of that kind of pulled back in to the center. And so that is that will be um, different type of pelvic floor exercises. And I don't just mean the Kegels, I mean all of the webbing of the, the, the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor, if you imagine from your pubic bone to your tailbone, from your um, ischial tuberosities, your sit bones to your pubic bone, and then everything in between, having lots of um, lines of energy all of that lines of energy lines of fascia all of that pulling together tightening that and lifting it straight up through like it's going right up into the center of the of the belly like behind your behind your belly button that is a practice of just doing that so drawing all of that together pubic bone um, tailbone sit bones pulling all of them together that's almost like a little diamond and then lifting that up So practicing that to give the pelvic floor some support. And then the pelvic floor is a gateway to the deeper abdominals. And so just be patient that the abdominals are going to take time to kind of get their firing power back because they've been stretched, but thinking more about um, stabilizing and pulling them all together as opposed to doing lots of big movement with them, like like deep abdominals moving up and down, but more of a stability. And then the hip strength will also contribute to that. So doing bridging, doing both feet on the floor bridging, one-legged bridge, things like that to really work the glutes. And the glutes, um, because of their attachments, will directly impact the abdominal muscles. So that's how, and I would start that whenever you feel like you can. If you've had a cesarean section, that'll be different. You'll have a specific amount of time you have to wait. But you can start doing little things fairly quickly after birth to get everything back um back pulled back and together and then then just be gentle and um patient with the amount of time it might take because again you're especially if you're breastfeeding you've got other sets of hormones going on you've got fatigue and all that but get the glutes and the abdominals going and i promise that center will feel a lot more organized and then everything from there will feel better as well okay some other questions that i've always asked Oh, I cannot. I don't want to quit sugar, but I feel like crap. You can you give me some tips? Well, hmm, I did a little bit of mindful eating talk, but I would say if you uh, sugar is just, it's a hard one to get around because they say it's very addictive. I would say, can you get, can you eliminate the added sugar? There's a book by Chef AJ. It's called Unprocessed. And it is really good. And she's full on, like super, super, super militant in a good way. Um, like she's like no added salt, no added sugar, no added fat. And I think honestly salt, and I think she says that salt is like the harder thing. And just can you, can you not do added sugar? Like try that. And what I mean by added sugar is anything that's not in its natural form. Like she uses dates as a replacement. Can you eat more fruit? Like, I don't think you have to eliminate naturally occurring sugar. The problem is when you have the other sugar. And the only way you're going to actually be able to quit that is not buy it. Don't have it in your house. If you work somewhere, goodness gracious, that has it all around, which I've seen in so many places when I've gone and done like corporate events or, um, corporate talks. I mean, I've gotten, I've done corporate talks for movement, for yoga, for ergonomics, and even for energy boost. And then I'll come in and I see their little kitchens and they're full of crap. So I would encourage people not to have that at work. Um, But anyway, eliminate it from being around you. And that's going to be the first thing, but see if you can um, satisfy your sugar cravings with something that's more natural. You know, a banana has a ton of sugar in it, in a good way. Pineapple, like these are really tropical-like fruits, apple. These are naturally occurring sugars that might satisfy that. And okay, so here's another one. What do you think about weight training to get stronger in yoga? Well, I think it's great. I am not opposed to that at all. I think if it's done with, um, I want to say with a functionality to it. I think there's stuff at the gym that I, I'm not sure what the functionality for of some of the machines But I think adding like a kettlebell or adding, I mean, sometimes I'll add sandbags and things like that in some of the work that I do. I don't really add a lot of weight myself. Um, I'm not against it. It's kind of more just, I do a lot of weight bearing on my hands and on my feet. And But I I think it's great to kick it up a notch and, and add some weight. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Bands and things like that. Just try and apply it in a functional way. So it's not just a random like bicep curl. Nothing wrong with that, but know that there's, there's not a lot of necessarily function. I mean, yeah, you could pick up something and you could say, oh, that's functional. But a lot of the bicep curl is really to get your bicep bigger. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with that. But hey, I would rather you like learn how to do a pull-up and really use your bicep there. Okay, so uh, another question I got, do I foam roll? I do not really foam roll that much. I'm not against it. I'm, and I will do it on occasion. So, what I, but I don't want to say I do it because I don't do it regularly. I will say if something is bothering me, if I have any kind of like feelings of restricted fascia, I totally will hop on a foam roll. I, I, I'm not against it at all. I think they're great. I think they can be super, super helpful. And I'm, I'm they're great for myofascial releasing if you can't get somebody's hands on you just be really uh, aware of the foam roller. Um you don't want something too mushy, but you don't definitely don't want something too rigid and 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 spiky. So I actually have wanted to develop a really good foam roll because I haven't I've found ones that are pretty good, but I have an idea of what I would really love and I think if I had that one that I really loved, I would use it all the time. We have the melt method at our studio and we do have melt rollers and those are really nice. Those are really good. So maybe if I had one of those at my house, I would do it. Some of it is I don't feel the need for it. So, I mean, that's part of it. I, my movement is, is really, really balanced that I, and, and, you know, I'm not sitting in a desk, so I personally don't foam roll, but I think it's great for people to do. I don't what I what I don't like for foam rolling is if you're doing it as this kind of like working something out and having to do that all the time. So, in other words, if 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 you feel like you're not making any progress and every day you're trying to like kind of move something out, I think you probably need to find something else to do because foam rolling, like anything else, including massage in a way, is a passive passive moda- modality. Whereas you moving your body in a variety of ways is an active modality. So I think you use passive modalities in conjunction with um, your active ones, for sure. How do you begin in yoga movement study? Have you always been a fitness girl? I have always been a fitness person. I've loved it. I loved movement. I've talked about this a lot, so I won't talk about it a lot now. But yeah, I've always loved movement. And I think I just... I was always clear about that. I wanted to do something in movement and it's, it's part of who I am and I'm just grateful that I can do it as my work. And I think that's what drives a lot of people to it. If, if you, if you feel like that's what you want to spend your time doing and you get, I get so much joy. I get as much joy today with the like 10,000th person that I've worked with who has some aha moment that I did, you know, 20 years ago. So I think if that means I'm doing my passion, so do your passion. And if you, if it brings you a lot of joy, then um, follow that. So, how do I begin it, or how do you begin it? Just um, study with somebody who's inspiring, do a practice that's inspiring, and then get more education. The bottom line is to to do well at anything. You have to do a few things. One, you have to do you have to practice and believe in what you're doing. The second thing is you you need to be highly skilled at it. And highly skilled is going to translate in different ways, but you probably need to have a lot of education in it. You need academic knowledge, you need experiential experiential knowledge, but you need to have that to set yourself apart for sure. So you you just ha- that's the part where you so figure out like what you want to study, who you want to study with or where you want to study, what school, what kind of branch you want to go into and then and then really go and do it well and and you'll be successful because that's, I, th- I think honestly, that's how you're going to do it. I, I don't think, there's not a lot of people that just get to something out of luck. It might look like luck, but it's usually a lot of hard work and a lot of doing doing the work. Even if it's a love, they're doing the work. They're doing the education. They're doing the studying. They're doing the practice of it. And not just waiting around for it to happen. So that's what I would recommend to get into. Somebody wrote, what is your favorite thing about yourself? And I'm just now reading that for the first time. So my gosh, see, I have like a hundred questions that I'm just going through and I haven't even looked at them. What is your favorite thing about yourself? Asking me. That's a wonderful question to ask. Thank you for asking that. I think my favorite thing about myself is that I am committed to growing. I'm really committed to it. I don't I don't have many moments of dullness, you know, where my spirit is like dull or dim or I feel bored. I don't get bored. I don't get bored. So I feel like I'm I'm really into um growing and and in that observing how I'm growing and where I can improve. I don't ever feel like I've got it. I'm always looking to you know, where I can um, improve in big ways and small ways in every aspect of my life, personal, professional. And by the way, when you do a lot of things, there are going to be times where there's times where I'm like, wow, I really haven't been, you know, at the studio much lately, or I haven't been really at home lately, or I haven't had a date night with my husband. You know, it's like, there's a lot of pulling back and forth and there, it's not a battle. It's just there's always going to be a pull to the balance and that's why balance is a spectrum. So, I think my favorite thing is that I'm always willing to work hard and and and, and be inspired. So, thank you for asking that. Okay. Here is a physical therapy pra- uh, question. What would you recommend to strengthen weak office worker wrist? Well, Weak office worker wrist that implies to me that probably you're spending a lot of time at the computer and you're in flexion a lot. So if you're in flexion a lot, it doesn't necessarily mean you're strong in flexion, but that's flexion is where you're bringing your, if your um, palms are facing down, you're bringing your fingers back towards your palm. And that's flexion, as if you were typing on the computer or holding a phone or holding anything is going to be in wrist flexion. So one thing would be to, to make sure that you move in a variety of ways that you extend your wrist, you stretch out your wrist. And then honestly, the best thing, and then you want to open up, you know, open up your fingers wide and then make a fist and open up your fingers wide, like really get the the fullness of movement in your hand. And then also in the wrist with the wrist stretching, but then getting weight bearing. I mean, weight bearing on the wrist is there's, there's, there's really no better way to get strong in the wrist than to weight bear. So start off on all fours where you're not loading your entire body weight on your hands and then walk yourself back so you're in plank and then pick up one leg in plank. So now you've got your hands and one foot down so the load is more. Um, Do a variety of things, bringing one knee in at a time from plank. All those kind of things and get more and more used to putting weight on your wrist. It's It's the opposite of what you think. When you're weak, your wrist will let you know that they're being there's demand is being put on them when you put weight on them and you'll think oh my gosh I don't want to hurt them because they're weak but you actually need to put weight on them so I'm not saying hurt them but know that you're going to feel it you want to feel that and you need to give it support from your core so you're not sinking into your wrist and putting compression there you also want to be aware of the floor that you're putting your weight bearing on so you can't just kind of always do it on concrete you've got to do it on a on a surface that's good for the wrist. So um, not the hardest wood, but some kind of wood floor and um, practicing with this feeling of an upward lift in your abdominals with your glutes working. The glutes working, especially in plank, is going to help the wrist a lot, but you, you need to weight bear. So that's the absolute, the number one thing I would say for for strengthening wrist is make sure they're ready to weight bear so that you've stretched out the wrist and gotten them ready for ex- for that um, 90 degree extension that's required and then yeah and then weight bear so another person asked, is the big toe mound the ball of the foot or the toe pad it's the toe mound is the um ball of the foot it's known as the meta um tarsal so the first metatarsal it is that lar so if you follow your big toe and where it meets the the mass of your foot is is the toe mound there so it's not the toe pad it's at the bottom part and that is your first metatarsal. So I think you're referring to that because that's a lot of times what I'm, what John and I referred to, but I've also referred to in pressing down into that first metatarsal because that's where the energy is coming through the foot from the floor. And if you're pulled away from there towards your pinky side, then you've lost a lot of that exchange of energy, which is not what you want to do. So Someone said, "Will your online course be available in partial payments?" Yes, there will be a payment plan for the online course, and there will be signups for that in the near future. It's not ready yet, but it will. The signups doesn't mean it's starting then. It's just the sign up for the first round, and it will be repeating. So if you can't do the first round, don't worry. It's something that I'm planning to do several times a year. All right, tips for a neutral pelvis, please. Okay, three people wrote that. Tips for a neutral pelvis. Well, you should, first of all, listen to my neutral pelvis podcast and know that it will take time and it has to. you have to have a lot of awareness. But here's, I'm gonna actually end on the neutral pelvis because it's that important. Okay, so if you're sitting, find your sit bones and a lot of people say, okay, rock back and forth. That's fine to do, rock back and forth so you can feel the front and the back of them and then really sit down on them and imagine them to be like two tiny little feet they're at the bottom of your pelvis, so you're sitting on them. So when you sit and you're literally right on top of them, that is probably. I'm hoping you're on your in your neutral pelvis position, and you should put your hand on your tailbone, the very very bottom of it, like right at the base of the crack, and then on the pubic bone in front, and then draw that together. Really, just kind of not not, not aggressively, but just feel like you could pull from the front to the back. A, So front to the back, that's horizontal, (laughs) pull it together and then lightly pull the belly in and just feel that that is, you just kind of have this organization there of energy. So you've got it um, from the horizontal line between your front hand and your back hand, and then this um, vertical line between your bottom hand, your pubic bone, and then where the belly button is. And all of that all pulls in toward each other. So front, the pubic bone pulls up toward the belly button and the pubic bone also pulls back toward the tailbone. And is there any movement happening? No, not necessarily, but that feeling of drawing there. So it's like this this three-dimensional triangle that's that's going through the body. And then attempt to do that, find it in standing. Now in standing, the problem um, happens with people is that all of this short stuff in the in the front of the hip, the hip flexors get really tight from sitting, and then they go to stand and they can't quite open that space up so their pelvis will tip forward to accommodate that shortening. And so to get that this neutral pelvis, most, not everybody, but a lot of people will have to bend the knees to then kind of set the pelvis back into place so it's not tipping forward. So don't be afraid to try when when finding your neutral pelvis in a standing position with a little knee bend. So you're just freeing up the bottom part of the hip flexors that cross over the knee. And when you bend the knee, it just takes some of the um it gives you some slack so that you can then fix the pelvis. And then think about that in all of the yoga poses, for instance, if you're in a lunge and you've got one leg in front and one leg in back, the back leg, say it's your right leg that's in back, the front of the hip is being pulled on. So you're probably going to need to bend that right knee. I still most days bend that right knee, even though I have a good amount of space there. It just feels and it feels easier to find that neutral pelvis so don't be afraid of using your hands as long, as kind of landmarks to help you feel the abdominals kick in. If you can't get your glutes to kick in, it might be in fact, because you're not yet in neutral pelvis. So if you're having a hard time identifying it in your brain, just think tailbone down, like down, not under, but down pubic bone up toward the belly button, and then get the glutes firing and feel the abdominal wall tightening. And then most likely you're in a neutral pelvis. So I hope that helps because neutral pelvis, as we know, is hugely important, especially if you are spending a lot of your day in one position. So more Q and A with me, I didn't get to many, many questions, but I think those were good ones and I hope they helped a lot. So have a wonderful day, get moving and get grooving and know that I'm sending you hugs. And feel free to always send me questions to laura at com, And I promise I'll try and answer them in one way or another. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.